ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Good afternoon, this is Chickie Fitzgerald. It is Friday, November 13th, 2015, and we have got a really, really wonderful show for you today. I know I say that every week, but this week we're talking about one of those tough topics, which is all about making mistakes. And, uh, you know, whether, whether you have been the brunt of mistakes or you've been the one who've made them, uh, I think this show is really going to resonate with you today. We're going to be talking about the book, Mistakes, I Made It Work. And the author is Jessica Bacall. Did I pronounce that right, Jessica? Yeah. Yep. Oh, good. I forgot to ask you that before the show. I like to try to get get that right so that I'm not embarrassing you or me. <laughs> but, so it sounds like it's just like Lauren Bacall, right? Yes. Yes, but with perfect. Yeah, perfect. Well, Jessica, before we start talking about the book, our listeners always love to hear your story, and you can start Mm -hmm. that story really wherever you want. Sometimes people talk about their childhood, how it led them into uh, their vocation, and how they became Mm -hmm. a writer, and how this book came to be. So I will just let you run with that. Okay. Um, Well, let's see. I came. I uh, direct a leadership center at Smith College, which is a women's college in Western Mass, and I came to that work having no experience at all in higher education. I had been an elementary school teacher and um, a writer, and I was doing freelance curriculum development. My husband, um, we live in Western Massachusetts, my husband is from here, and so uh, we moved here when we had a child, and I got this very part-time job at Smith, but I just, I loved the work, and I loved the people I worked with, and the job became something bigger and bigger until I finally um, was chosen to be the acting director of this center, so it was this brand new leadership center, and as I kind of... um, as I started that role, I just it was a steep learning curve, and I made oh I found myself making a lot of mistakes, and part of it was just learning the culture of a college, and uh, you know part of it was <clears throat> learning to you know manage relationships with my boss and with others with other people who sometimes felt their toes stepped on because they felt like they did leadership programming, and you know who was I thinking I was going to do it. Um, so that was part of it, like my own my own mistakes. And then at the same time, I was doing all this reading and thinking about leadership. Um, you know, how were we, how was I going to kind of be innovative in this area with our students? And a lot of the time, um, you know, students didn't even, you know, to some students, the idea of becoming leaders really resonated, and to others, it didn't. But one thing that I I saw that I was learning as I was reading and thinking is that. Um, you know, to become a leader, you have to be able to make mistakes and learn from them. You know, that's kind of everywhere in the literature. Daniel Goleman talks about that, Angela Duckworth, um, a lot of the people who, you know, are kind of psychologists and researchers thinking about uh, leadership development. And I was, at the same time, you know, making a lot of mistakes myself and hearing from students that they um, were very nervous about making mistakes and they felt like there was this culture where they were supposed to be doing everything perfectly. And I thought, how are any of us going to evolve and, you know, become the leaders we want to be without 
you know, becoming a little more comfortable with mistake making. And that's what led me into thinking about the book. Well, I'll tell you what, I am a, I'm such a sucker for a great cover and I love the cover of your book. Um, they did a good you job. Know, yeah. For those who are just listening and haven't taken a look at, at the promo for the show today, um, it, it has all kinds of mistakes on the front as, as if it is the work in progress of the design of the cover, which is so, so perfect. Right, and, and the coffee uh, ring even, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know what? I just noticed that. Isn't that yeah. funny that it took yeah. you saying that before <laughs> before yeah. I noticed it? But I love what the New York Times said about this book, that it's the printed equivalent of a long, hot bath at the end of a terrible day at work. <laughs> and I have to tell you, today has been one of those days for me. And even as mm. an entrepreneur uh, who works largely alone, um, I do have somebody who is, you know, working with me right now doing um, some business development work, and we've had a couple of pretty challenging days of communication and relationship. And yeah. and I, uh, you know, come into this call wondering if I have made some mistakes today mm. yeah. Uh, yeah. in that communication. So I am uh, I am really excited to dive in. And, uh, you know, just for those listeners who haven't heard the show before, you know, I am both a uh, radio show host and I spent 20 years in corporate life working for three technology companies uh, in the travel industry and then have spent the last 20 years with my own consulting firm. And then also because I'm a serial entrepreneur, uh, I am on my second technology company that uh, I have funded and founded and and really do everything from soup to nuts. So, um, you know, as as I uh, comment on things, you know, it may be with different hats on, but I, I just love the approach that you took within the book. And, and that's the other thing is I, I just love a book that's well organized and clear and simple so that if you've got a particular problem, you can almost use this book as the problem solving for, for those particular problems that you're experiencing. And you can read the stories that you've written about the women that you interviewed. So tell me how you selected the women for the book. Um, yeah, and I think what you're saying is true, that almost everyone will find a story that's re that resonates with them because the stories are all so different. But um, I, you know, I wanted a diverse group of women from a wide range of um, work backgrounds. And I, you know, part of it was just thinking, who would I love? Who is my dream contributor? So there were some kind of just cold calls or cold emails. So Cheryl Strayed, for example, the author of Wild, which recently um, was turned into a movie with Reese Witherspoon. Um, you know, I just, I had just read Wild when I was, you know, thinking about who I would love to have in the book. And mm -hmm. I just emailed her agent <laughs> and I just said, oh, I loved your book so much. And, and she is pretty amazing. And she wrote back to me and said, I'll do it. Um, and so she was someone who just was like, uh, you know, kind of, it was just luck that she had, wow. and her willingness to, she's very interested in uh, mentorship of, you know, and I think of women in particular. Some people um, are Smith alumni. There are six Smith alumni out of 25 people. Um, there, you know, I really tried to use connections to, you know, try to, um, you know, figure out who knows someone interesting. And, you know, I wanted there to be a doctor. Um, you know, Danielle Offrey is another person, cold call. She's a um, 
She's a, a doctor and a journalist. She writes for the New York Times. Um, I wanted people in business, so Joanna right. Barsh of McKinsey and Company is in there. Um, Anna Holmes, she is the founding editor of Jezebel. Uh, she, I, I knew someone who knew her uh, through an email. I was connected to her. Kim Gordon, who is the you know son, rock star Sonic Youth. Um, she lives in Northampton, and I just kind of bugged her until she said yes. So, um, yeah, there's a. I just I really wanted diversity in the voices in the book. So, so tell me which came first, the structure of the book, and then you just happened to hear stories from these women, or did you interview all the women on a, a set of topics and then decide what to to glean? Because you've organized. Uh, th- this group of women in different parts of the book. And, mm-hmm. and so you start with the topic of learning to take charge of your own narrative. And yeah. this one I love because mm-hmm. uh, this has been a constant challenge for me through, throughout my career. Yeah. Uh, the topics came later. I mean, I knew I was interviewing everyone about mistakes. And, um, you know, I really, I didn't have a set of questions. I just, I said to people, could you share one mistake that um, has served as a kind of touchstone for you that's resonated for you and, and maybe informed, you know, um, you know, parts of the, the rest of your career. And once I had the stories, um, I mean, themes started to emerge and um, I had this great editor at Penguin and she, you know, with her, I thought about what would be, you know, useful categories. So, um, you know, the very first interview is Laurel Tooby, who is the founder of uh, Media Bistro, um, a website for writers and journalists, um, and and she's like a great example of taking charge of your own narrative because she was, you know, working for magazine after magazine and kind of thinking if she followed all the rules, she would rise through the ranks. Um, but ultimately, she was she was let go, and she started kind of this. Um, like these parties for people in journalism when the parties it turned into this website. And, and so she really kind of found what she does through, um, through kind of, you know, making, uh, well, not through making mistakes, but definitely like through fine, you know, realizing she was not someone who was going to fit in, in in a corporate culture. And, you know, it was really going to work best for her to be running her own business. Um, and, uh, she has a great – I was actually really felt nervous about interviewing her because she has this kind of um, – I was worried she would be intimidating. She kind of – you often see her pictured with a feather boa, like bright blue <laughs> or bright pink. And um, she's come to Smith and given these – you know, she's very direct. And But she was so lovely um, and so helpful and, uh, as I say in the book, you know, she was the first person I interviewed. And well, she, she, like, she is direct and – I would love to read the quote that you have at the beginning of her, her yeah. chapter. She yeah. said, I rejected the very idea of office politics. I felt yeah. it was a waste of time. It just pissed me off. Why right. do I and need to go need over her. there to get to here? It's like, here's what I want. Here's what you want. Let's get this done. Exactly. And I love that. And that's what she's like. You know, she's very mm. direct. And she's, um, yeah, she was just not into it. And one of the mistakes she talks about is, you know, kind of you, she was from a city and she um, had a, she had kind of an ironic, sarcastic sense of humor and, 
she was uh, one of her very first jobs. They ended up calling her in and saying, you know, you can't make the jokes that you've been making. You know, you can't, you're hurting people's feelings. And she had no idea. She wasn't trying to, oh, you know, wow. hurt anyone. She just felt like, well, this is my sense of humor. I have kind of a biting sense of humor. But she, she started to feel like she had to be not herself um, in a way that was uncomfortable. You know, that she was, right. uh, needed to be kind of in a box and she moved on from there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think a lot, almost every woman in the book could really be, um, you know, seen within the context of this idea of taking charge of your own narrative, because they're all people who have been innovative and brave and, you know, self-aware enough to really, you know, make some important decisions right. in their careers, um, you know, sometimes after or within the context of, of mistakes. So what, what, did can you distill from from all of those interviews and you did it looks like eight or nine uh in that category of of what are some practical things that our listeners could do to take mm-hmm. charge of their own narrative rather than letting people observe and come to the wrong conclusions you know which mm. is has been the the challenge in my career is that mm-hmm. uh, no one has had the guts to come and tell me uh most of the time. I mean, I can think of one one boss I had once who sent me to what he called corporate charm school, and it was actually a fabulous course offered by uh, the American Management Association, and it was held in Carmel, California for a week. And I had such a wonderful time there, but everyone in the course kept saying, I don't understand how he thinks you needed corporate charm school because, you know, when you come into the room, the room lights up. And I thought, well, how come it isn't like that in my company? Mm. So anyway, I, I share that just uh, to give you, you know, some fodder for, for what are the things that people can do to take charge of their own narrative. Yeah, because we all can't go to corporate charm school. No. sounds kind of great, <laughs> actually. Uh, I mean, I think... I mean, there's at the end of each chapter, uh, you know, each each woman interviewed offers tips, and um, you know, there what I the book, you know, there's um, you know there are a lot of different perspectives. What I uh, kind of one thing I really gleaned from all of the interviews was the value of self compassion, um, and mm. there's a researcher at U, uh, U of Texas Austin who talks about this, Kristen Neff. You know, the importance of when you've made a mistake or when something's not going the way you planned, to not feel ashamed and like, oh, you know, I'm the only one in the world to whom this kind of thing is happening. I must be a total loser. You know, often we talk to ourselves in these ways like um, in ways we wouldn't even speak to our best friend. (laughs) Um, So, you know, being kind of mindful, like this is a situation that's not working for me or, you know, I'm not happy in this situation. That's part of self-compassion. Kind of being aware of like a shared humanity with other people. You know, there's other people who have struggled like me. Um, And, you know, I think that those things can be really useful when when you find yourself stuck uh, when you feel stuck and, you, you know, you feel like there's no way out. And a lot of these people share stories of, of feeling stuck. But then, you know, moving on, like Reshma Sujani um, is some, uh, someone I interviewed who is the founder of Girls Who Code uh, in oh, New York yeah. City. And she ran for uh, for office in New York and lost. And she describes just, you know, keeping a professional face on but then going home and collapsing uh you know and feeling so demoralized but you know giving herself 
six weeks to feel terrible and then moving on and thinking what's what's the work I wanted to do mm. that I you know that I would have that I could do anyway and part of it was you know founding this nonprofit for girl to teach girls to code um, so <clears throat> you know I think allowing yourself to feel bad but then also kind of letting yourself you know move on from where you are right right Oh, that's fabulous. And, you know, it's so funny because I keep running across her company. I, I actually mm. didn't know her story. So uh, it was really interesting to, you know, hear about, uh, you know, growing up in Africa and, and having this passion, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for young girls, especially, you know, in the math and science uh, mm-hmm. fields. And so that they could have good jobs as as they, uh, you know, move throughout their lives. So that that's very very interesting and you know it's it's funny this next topic in the book is learning to ask. Mm-hmm. And you know I I I know what's behind this just in my own life of of that I I am so self-sufficient in so many mm-hmm. things and I can do so many things but I shouldn't mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. most of what I do for myself. I mm-hmm. should ask for help. Yeah. And uh, you know it's funny. Uh, well, I'm going to let you tell a couple of stories out of out of this section, and, and then I'll I, I've got another commentary here about uh, about the learning to ask skill. Yeah, and you know the people there's a, there's so many different. I mean, I think we think uh, about negotiation, right? Where we've learned that women aren't as likely as men to ask for more money in a negotiation, you know, but that there also are certain ways in which women are um, perceived more favorably when they, you know, you have to. It's good to smile and it's good to um, speak about the the common good and. Um, but my actually my uh, these interviews are are less about negotiating for money. There is one about that, and right. more about, for example, um, Selena Rizvani, who's a leadership consultant, uh, told me about being in the social work program and um, really not not really wanting to do social work. She was more interested in working with women in business, and but she never asked, you know, hey, is there a way in which I might be able to be creative with this degree? And she just felt like somehow that wasn't okay or like she would be perceived in a kind of, um, mm-hmm. in a way that she didn't like by her peers. And so it took her a long time to then, you know, get a social work job, realize she didn't like the kind of work she was doing and go back to business school. Um, but looking back, she says she wished she'd been a little more um, kind of uh, innovative and willing to push the envelope, you know, in her program mm. because she probably could have done something interdisciplinary. Um, Carla Harris is a big name on Wall Street, and she told a story about uh, a transaction in which she kind of just she did the same thing that a colleague had done. She, she, uh, you know. Did, she followed a protocol that her her colleague had used, but it turned out uh, she should have done something different, and she lost a bunch of money. And because she she wasn't didn't feel like it was okay to ask, and so she kind of mm. went ahead and did something that ended up being a big mistake for the company. Um, she, but she has a great story in which she talks about you know bravery comes up so much. I mean she. After she lost this money, this guy uh, on the floor, you know, after she apologized to her boss and worked through it, this guy on her floor kept saying, wow, I can't believe how much money we've lost. And he kind of went around, you know, week after week. And finally, she took him aside and said to him in this very collegial way, 
I know that you've always been so supportive of me and you want to see me do well. And I know I've made a big mistake. I know I'm not going to hear about it again. <laughs> and she didn't hear again from him. Um, right. So, well, you know, she, she, was, was, she was shaping her own narrative too then. Yeah, yeah. Right? That was a whole new story about her. And, and uh, that's amazing. Yeah, and I do see that you did interview Joanna Barsh. And, and uh, she's been on our show before, so that's kind uh-huh. of fun. But uh, I know we, we are trying to be mindful of our time because we mm-hmm. both have family stuff going on this weekend. Yeah. And, and that's kind of part of being who we are. So I want to make sure that we make it sure uh, through these last two topics. Yeah. The next one, you know, we've talked about this a lot on this show, and that is learning to say no. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, so there's a whole bunch of um, great stories. I'm, I'm looking at the book right now. I mean, Ruth Reichel, who's the founding editor of Gourmet Magazine and has written several memoirs, uh, tells a great story about her her early career and you know being offered a job where the uh, money was good it was very secure but uh, she really hated it she didn't like the people she didn't like the work and she came home and her you know she she had accepted this offer and her husband said what were you doing what what were you thinking accepting this offer she had been temping there and then she had, was accepting a permanent job and so she went back and told them no I'm not I'm not going to take the job and that's how her whole career really um, her whole career in food really proceeded from there from that original no mm. where she was able to kind of to turn away from um, you know the security that that job would have offered um, Anna Holmes the founding editor of Jezebel um, I think speaks really eloquently about the fact that um, you know, more often than not, we need the security of a good job, you know, of health insurance and of a decent salary. Right. And it's it's very it's easier said than done, you know, uh, easier to say, take, you know, get, take a risk than it is to to do it. Um, she worked in magazines for a long time and ultimately took a leap to work at Jezebel uh, and, found, you know, be the founding editor before, you know, in online magazines were a big deal. And, um in her story, I mean, the reason it's categorized within learning to say no, um, you know, she just really ran herself into the ground. And mm. she says that she would just never do that again. She would never take a job again in which she was a so, um, you know, just it was such an overwhelming amount of work. Uh, you know, she was up at five in the morning and working till midnight. At the same time, you know, that that's the work that made it such a success. So, you know, right. it's not like she looks back and says, um, I regret it, but she just knows now that if, she, you know, that she would say no to a, another experience like right. that. She's just right. not up for it. And, you know, I need to go back to learning to ask because I remember now what, what I wanted to ask you about yeah. this. And you did five interviews in this area. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that keeps coming up in both my dialogue with people that I mentor and, and people who mentor me is that quite often the men in our, in our field division, the, the men in our, our circle, they actually love to be asked. And I think it's mm. one reason why men are okay asking other men for stuff mm. because they, they know that that's what they like. They, yeah. they like to help. They like to be asked to solve a problem. Yeah. And I wondered whether the women you interviewed encountered a difference in learning how to ask other women versus men, or was that even a topic within within those interviews? Mm. You know, I didn't look at that but you know i think there's two important points in what you're saying 
I mean, one is that men can be such good mentors. You know, it doesn't have to be. I mean, in this book, I was kind of trying to create a chorus of women mentors, and I think women's stories can be so inspiring. But, you know, I, I of course, think that men can learn from women, and women can learn from yes. men, and <laughs> men can be great mentors. Um, you know, the other thing is that I think for women, you know, there is research that when people are in gender incongruent roles, um, they are more likely to be seen as, you know, not knowing what they're doing. So like a woman in basically most leadership roles, you know, is going right. to be, uh, you know, in the minority or a guy who is a teacher or a nurse, you know, so, um, you know, where there's more women than, than men. So, um, so there would be, you know, if women perceive some kind of penalty for asking, prob- you know, there's quite a possibility that 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 penalty is real, that they're perceiving something real um, if they're in the minority and they're uh, in their workplace. Um, at the same time, you know, it's so it's so important to be able to ask because it's the only way we learn. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, the last section of the book, part four, is about learning resilience. And, and you did a lot of interviews in, in this section. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think particularly as an entrepreneur, um, you know, the the only reason we do this, I, I think, is because we were born to do it, uh, mm-hmm. because the obstacles and the level of resilience that's needed to be an entrepreneur is yeah. extraordinary. Uh, yeah. Now, I know that there are also challenges and, um, you know, within corporate roles and, and in academia and all of the other types of work, nonprofit. So learning resilience is key to all of them. What were the themes that came across in, in these interviews? Um, you know, I think I, I really loved Judith Warner's interviews. She um, had a column for, for the New York Times, and when she lost the column, she was really devastated. And um, one thing she talks about is – kind of learning to not see your value through externals. You know, she she said, you know, she's a competitive person. She's never going to stop wanting, you know, to achieve and to, um, you know, get this external validation, but that it it's not good when you set your set up your whole life where everything that's um you get all of your validation through kind of external feedback and you don't have kind of uh things like you know, time with friends or time with your family or, you know, other things in your life, time walking your dog. If you, <laughs> I love to walk my dog. You know, things that help keep you grounded. Um, the other uh, thing that came up, Rinku Sen is the head of a large nonprofit in New York City, and she talks about, you know, the process of learning to listen to feedback without um, – without falling apart and also without yeah, being defensive. Yeah. And, you know, she became someone who over the years, you know, was able to, when she got uh, feedback that that made her feel bad or that made her feel like something had failed, she was able to kind of not immediately react, take some time, think about the feedback, talk it through with a trusted colleague, and then return to the, you know, the place that the, or person that the feedback was coming from. This one story she tells us about, a workshop she did that you know usually is very successful, and in this one case, uh, people didn't didn't they weren't happy with how it went, and she just managed it in such a um, such a graceful way. Uh, you know, she even talks about you know I went and I had my weekend, I didn't let it ruin my weekend. You know, and and I think that's something that we develop over time. I mean, it's it's 
I think it's an ongoing process being able to develop the, um, you know, the, you know, constantly, you know, uh, honing your skills to to deal with managing feedback because the up you get, uh, the more you're, the more you're going to get that negative feedback. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. So what? You know, overall, this experience of writing about mistakes and all of these women are are successes and, you know, yet bared their soul, you know, here sharing Mm -hmm. with you those mistakes. Jessica, um, what what are the couple of takeaways that you have from just your experience writing this book? What can you share with our audience about what they need to do about being willing to be vulnerable and, and to share their mistakes so that they can find out that they're not the only ones who are making them? Mm. Well, I think, um, I think having people you can talk to, you know, at, at maybe even if they're people at, at another company, you know, not even if they're not within your company, but they're outside. I think, um, you know, having a growth mindset was a big takeaway. Uh, you know, there's a, a psychologist at Stanford who I actually interview in the book who talks about that if you can, if you see ability as something that can grow and change, then you're better off. You're gonna, you're gonna go fa- farther than if you see ability as something that's fixed and that like, oh, this mistake or this failure means like I, I just can't do this. Um, so I think of the importance of a growth mindset, um, self-compassion, as I, as I mentioned, and, and bravery too, you know, just that it takes bravery to be able to confront your mistakes and mm. move on. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's part of learning. It really is. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, in any new situation, new job transition, we're going to feel discomfort. We're going to you know, feel like, oh, you know, there's no, there's no map, there's no curriculum like there was in college. Um, And it's just kind of part of life. And if we can kind of normalize that, I think that's really useful. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for sharing your afternoon with me. And I I hope you've got some fun things planned this weekend. I heard you say something about a birthday party. Yes, it was my son's birthday. (laughs) Oh, fun. Fun. How old is he? He's 11. Oh, great. Yeah, I've got a 15-year-old who's a freshman on the football team, and this is their very first time ever uh, in the school's history of making uh, the playoffs. Oh, congratulations. um, yeah, I mean, there's very little chance that as a freshman he'll play tonight. But if uh-huh. if they uh, if they're ahead by enough, usually the coach will put them in in, in the yeah. very last uh, part of the game. So oh, that's exciting. Yeah, we're hoping that that happens. Well, you know, I, I just want to uh, share just a couple of other quick things from from the book. Uh, Ariana Huffington uh, wrote on the cover of this book. This insightful book reminds us that failure isn't the opposite of success. It's a stepping stone. And and I just love that. And it really encapsulates uh, your subtitle of this book, which is 25 Influential Women Reflect on What They Got Out of Getting It Wrong. So, Jessica, again, thank you so much for your time. The book is yeah. Mistakes I Made It Work. Jessica, can you tell folks how they can get in touch with you and how they can uh, follow you on social media? Sure. You can follow me at Jessica Bacall on Twitter, uh, J-E-S-S-I-C-A-B-A-C-A-L. 
And you can find the book, you know, wherever you at your local bookstore, on Amazon, any of those places. Terrific. Jessica, thank you so, so much for joining us this afternoon. And I hope you have a great weekend. You too. Thanks for interviewing me. For those who'd like more information on the Executive Girlfriends Group, please check out www.executivegirlfriendsgroup.com. We do have a public Facebook uh, at Executive Girlfriends Group and also a private one for our paid members. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. With Chickie Fitzgerald. Oh, 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 oh,